Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 3, Episode 10 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. This week, it's a cup of soup, a short episode on grief. Many people will experience grief for many different reasons over their working lives, and my recent personal experience suggests that it's not always easy to talk about it, both as the griever and the concerned colleague. So I wanted to share some reflections and practical stuff, including a metaphor, a model, and a poem that I've found really useful. I'm not an expert in the field, so I will finish off with some practical advice for organisations from the Loss Foundation. From their website, it says that in 2014, 12% of the UK's population were bereaved by cancer. Taking all types of losses into account, 20% of people in the workplace are bereaved. So, every 2 in 10 people you interact with at work today are grieving. Quite startling statistics there from the Loss Foundation, and hopefully we can explore the issue of grief in a useful way in this episode. PeopleSoup is a community of people who are interested in behavioural science at work and how we can make it accessible, fun and useful for ourselves and each other. At work, behavioural science has the capacity to enhance our well-being, help us be the person we want to be more often, and provide us with perspectives to enable cooperation, collaboration and innovation. It was psychologist Abraham Maslow who said, a first-rate soup is more creative than a second-rate painting. That was the inspiration for this podcast. More than ever, the world of work is a heady mix of people, behaviour, events and challenges. When the blend is right, it can be first-rate. Behavioural science and psychology has a lot to offer in terms of recipes, ingredients, seasonings, spices and utensils. So welcome to People Soup. Let's start with reviews and news. First of all, you'll notice that we have some spoon action in our introduction now. We've never had that before, so I'm really interested to know what you think, whether you like it, whether it helps identify the podcast as a brand. And on to reviews. For The Lighthouse, our last episode, over on LinkedIn, Linda Costello said, Enjoyed listening to The Lighthouse this morning, Ross. The point that resonated with me is around when you are in the middle of the storm. It can certainly feel overwhelming. Remembering that it will pass is an important point, with a focus on the light and not the storm. Thanks very much, Linda, for the listen, and also for your observation on what you took away. That's really, really helpful. Chris Winson, who curates 365 Days of Compassion, made the last few episodes Sunday Listen on his brilliant hashtag, and he said, Ross McIntosh is doing so much good stuff. This short episode considers how a lighthouse can keep us guided by our values, especially at troubling and challenging times. Thanks as ever, Chris. I was so delighted that you really enjoyed the last few episodes. Really, really appreciate that. My pal Fiona Healy O'Neill said, Really appreciated this 10 minutes of good-humoured, thoughtful values reflection for my working self today. Especially Ross's reflections on stopping work no longer serving onward values-aligned progression. Something we all get trapped in. Check it out. Fiona also said, Must say I love the lighthouse horn. Would love to set this as a values check-in cue for when I'm working from home, but it wouldn't be appreciated round others as much, methinks. And Louise agreed. Louise is also known as Act Anti, my Act Anti and your Act Anti. Louise said, really enjoyed this one, Ross, and totally agree with Fee. I could do with that horn as a constant reminder throughout the day. 
Thanks both to Fee and Louise and everyone who listened, shared and fed back on this episode. It's really great to hear from you all. Thanks also to Fee, who at the same time shared a word with me. And that word was Meraki. That's M-E-R-A-K-I. And apparently this is a word that modern Greeks often use to describe what happens when you leave a piece of yourself, your soul, creativity or love, in your work. When you love doing something, anything so much that you put something of yourself in it. And I'm really flattered and touched that Fiona shared this with me because this is really what I aim to do with this podcast. I aim to to make it quite personal and it certainly is a labour of love and I do have a go at expressing my value of creativity. Right, so I think we're ready. So get a brew on, sit back and have a listen to our episode on grief. Grief is something that will impact upon us all at some point or some points in our working lives, whether it's the loss of a loved one, the death of a colleague, the ending of a relationship. There are many, many forms of grief. As some of you will know, my dear mum died in May this year, and we'll shortly be at the six-month anniversary, and I wanted to share some things that are helping me. These include a metaphor, a model, and a poem. For me, some people I work with knew that mum was terminally ill, and some didn't. It wasn't something that I wanted to broadcast, but it was important that some people knew for really practical reasons. When mum died, some people asked me how I was and how my family were, which was lovely and came from a good place. It wasn't always easy to respond, and still isn't on some days. Grief is a very personal thing. For me, for instance, I prefer to use the word died but others prefer past or passed away or loss. As someone experiencing grief, it's important to bear in mind that anyone who is asking you a question or expressing sympathy is doing so from a place of care and concern. I don't believe there's any intention to offend or upset. So when someone asked me my mum's age and then almost said words to the effect of, well, she's had a good innings, I really tried to keep my response quite minimal and neutral, but actually I was quite upset by that. But as I say, I'm sure that person didn't mean any harm to me or any disrespect. Some people asked more detailed questions, which I wasn't always ready for, and I tried my best to convey this. Others would kind of avoid me, and I completely get this, that fear of saying the wrong thing or putting your foot in it. Some people would say they were pleased to see me, which was lovely, and sometimes added that they were here for me. Personally, this would be my preferred combo. But remember, the worst thing has already happened for that person, so there's not much you can say that would be completely wrong. My recommendation, for what it's worth, would be to start gentle and small, signalling that you're open for further communication. Also, be prepared. The person you connect with may get upset or cry. And that's not a reflection on you. And I cannot emphasise this enough. It's not a sign of weakness to cry or get emotional in the office. What it is, is a clear sign of being a human being. So what am I trying to say? I think where I'm going is that everyone will have different preferences and grief can change on a day-to-day basis or even an hour-by-hour basis, to be honest. 
It ain't linear, pea-soupers. So what has helped me? The first thing is the metaphor of the ball in the box. I found this on Twitter from Lauren Herschel. Lauren's doctor had shared it with her, and she had shared it on Twitter with the wider community, and it's got loads of likes and retweets. The idea is a box, and inside the box is a ball. On the left-hand side, inside the box, is a button. When grief is fresh and the ball is large, it will hit the button over and over again, many, many times every day. It can seem relentless. That button represents the pain and all the other emotions, feelings and thoughts associated with grief. Over time, the ball may shrink a bit and hit the button a bit less, but it will still hit it at kind of random and unexpected times. Personally, I don't think the ball ever disappears. I think I'm still in the fairly early stages of grief, and this metaphor helps me know that those waves of unexpected emotion will pass, and it's okay to sit gently with them and be kind to myself, rather than try and avoid or banish them. Strobe and Schutt developed a dual-process model of grief, which I first came across on the Freaking the Fuck Out podcast, in their excellent episode on grief, featuring Carrie Lloyd from the Griefcast and Dr. Erin Hope Thomas from the Loss Foundation. I've listened to this episode more than once and found it enormously useful. I'll put the links in the show notes and I'll also come back to the Loss Foundation shortly. So let's have a look at this dual process model. I was particularly pleased to hear about this process-based model reflecting a dynamic environment, because for me, the Kubler-Ross model neither resonates nor inspires me in the fields of grief or change. In the dual process model of grief, the two processes are loss-oriented and restoration-oriented. So let's look at the loss-oriented process first. The loss-oriented process focuses on coping with bereavement, the loss itself, recognising it and accepting it. In this process, a person will express feelings of grief with all the losses that occur from losing their loved one. There will be many changes from work to family, friendships. There might also be demographic changes and even economic ones. In essence, these are the thoughts, feelings, actions and events that focus you on grief and pain. This for me is particularly when I'm engulfed by a wave of grief. It's a comfort to me when I notice this to identify that I'm in the loss-oriented process. The second process is the restoration-oriented process. In the restoration-oriented process, the loss of the loved one is accepted and attachments with the deceased are relinquished. These include focusing on the new roles in their post-loss reality. The restoration-oriented process incorporates the development of new perspectives and creating new meanings, adjusting to a world without the person who has died. For me, this is moving forward, gently progressing, step by step, however small, with my life and work in this new world. The key point in the model for me is the frequent oscillation between the two processes and recognising both of them as components of my grief. I find it really useful to notice which process I'm in. Now, the model has many more complexities. I'll attach a reference to the paper that contains it and also a diagram. But for now, that'll do me, and I find it really useful, as I say, to notice when I'm in each mode. And in thinking about that restoration-oriented process and, and moving forwards, it's important for me to know how proud my mum was of my work. Now, in the final weeks of mum's life, I was fortunate enough to have many conversations with her. 
And we always finish these conversations with the same words to each other. Be brave and be proud. And I'm using these as values as I move forward in my life. I find them particularly comforting and meaningful for me. And a few days ago, I came across this poem, which I find enormously comforting, helpful and inspiring in helping me move towards being being brave and being proud. So I'm going to have a go at reading that poem for you, and it's called Epitaph by Merritt Malloy. When I die, give what's left of me away to children and old men that wait to die. And if you need to cry, cry for your brother walking the street beside you. And when you need me, put your arms around anyone and give them what you need to give me. I want to leave you something, something better than words or sounds. Look for me in the people I've known or loved, and if you cannot give me away, at least let me live on your eyes and not on your mind. You can love me most by letting hands touch hands, by letting bodies touch bodies, and by letting go of children that need to be free. Love doesn't die, people do. So, when all that's left of me is love, give me away. I promised I'd finish up with some information from the Lost Foundation's website. And again, I'll tell you those stats because for me they were so startling. In 2014, 12% of the UK's population were bereaved by cancer. Taking all types of losses into account, 20% of people in the workplace are bereaved. So, every two in ten people you interact with at work today are grieving. The Lost Foundation go on to say grief is a normal human experience, but up to 25% of people grieving may experience prolonged and distressing symptoms that affect their productivity and require more support. And support goes beyond providing the legal requirements for compassionate leave. And I would say on that point, for the policy makers, you'll never be able to develop a policy that will cover all circumstances of grief, so don't try. I would recommend providing some guidelines and allowing managers the flexibility to exercise discretion and compassion. The Loss Foundation look at the effects of bereavement in the workplace and say that research has consistently shown that lack of support in the workplace when grieving can have many negative effects for companies. Productivity can be lowered following a loss, with difficulties in concentration and judgment, stress, depression, lack of motivation and substance abuse. Lack of concern, compassion and support can have drastic effects for the employee, employers and the wider organisation. This can include absenteeism, errors and even financial consequences. The Loss Foundation's work is showing that having a proactive approach to managing grief in the workplace benefits the bereaved employees, those managing them and others in the team. I'd add to that that when we're developing training on communication skills, include areas where we know that people might have difficulty like grief. Not exclusively grief, but it should be one of the key elements. Think about those with ongoing caring responsibilities, whether it's children or the elderly or a terminally ill loved one. Talk about mental health. Talk about physical illness. Talk about things like the menopause. All these things that people find difficult to talk about should be included in training on communication skills. If there is a loss of a colleague, acknowledge the impact and the different ways that people grieve. Ask for suggestions on how they can be remembered and remember anniversaries. 
For managers, check in with those who are grieving. Ask them how they'd like to talk about their loved one. Use their name. And keep checking in. Remember, I'm six months into a grieving process and people at work still ask me and I really personally appreciate that. Be respectful with each individual and ask for their steer on how to approach it. So what did I find useful? I found the ball in the box metaphor very useful. That dual process model with the loss-oriented and restoration-oriented processes. And the poem, Epitaph. P-Supers, that's us done for now. If you like this episode or the podcast, could I invite you to share it with one other person? I'm really keen to spread the behavioural science and skills with more people. Of course, a subscription, rating or review are also very, very much appreciated. The show notes are at rossmackintosh.co.uk and this includes links to a few different platforms as well. You can find more links if you search for PeopleSoup on Linktree. You can get in touch with us at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com. On Twitter, we are at peoplesouppod. On Instagram, at people.soup. And on Facebook, at peoplesouppod. Thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic, and also for the new bit at the beginning. Thank you. And to you, dear Peace Supers, for listening. Have a great week, and bye for now.